Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. I'm Satsunami and joining me once again for another spooky episode is the man, the myth, the sinner sandwich himself, Adam. Welcome to the Spookfest. Hello, hello. Happy spookinings one and all. Good to be back on an extra spooky episode. Do you know, I was actually just thinking about this the other day, how the last time we did a spooky episode, or rather one that focused on horror, other than Birdemic, that doesn't count, no matter <laughs> no matter how strongly you feel about it, Adam, it does not count as horror. Well, a romantic horror, is it not? We'll argue about this later, but you, <laughs> you know my feelings. <laughs> Yeah, the last time we talked about horror properly was episode 3 of Chatsunami, so if you haven't checked that out, essentially it was just an episode about our views on horror games, which unfortunately we were unable to release it in October because we actually started the podcast in November. So we have missed a full month of spookiness with the podcast, haven't we? We've got to make up for lost time now. Exactly, we've got to get all the spookums in, we've got to get all the (laughs) horror films in, we've got to get Shaun of the Dead on repeat in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know what? I'm, I'm not arguing with that one, I have to say. Uh, I already got it on. Well, of course, yeah. You're, you're a super fan of it, which... It's on a 24-hour loop in my house. So in that episode, we discussed our... Pretty much our favourite horror games, didn't we? Yeah. And we can... Can you remember mine? Here's a question for you. What, what were my three favourite horror games? Um, was Half-Life 2 one of them? No. I brought that up as, like, my favourite, like, non... My favourite horror experience and non-horror game but that was a good pull well remembered yeah. I'm just trying to remember um, it definitely wasn't Outlast I know you had Resident Evil was that one of them no it wasn't surprising that I am a fan but it, I didn't pick that one you know what do tell what were your favourite horror games oh, some fan you are of the <laughs> listen to the product man <laughs> that's the first rule of podcasting okay you don't listen to your own product <laughs> don't get high on your own supply very true exactly very true. <laughs> words to live by kids anyway so my three my three favourite were Observer, Bioshock, and Alien Isolation. Oh, of course. Three classics, to be fair. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, out of curiosity, jumping on that point, what is your experience with horror games as a whole? It's a genre that I came to in... I feel I use this phrase every time on these podcasts now, but in later life. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> in late 20s now count as later life. But, yeah, so I never really played them when I was younger, and nor mm. really in my teens. It wasn't really until my kind of, like early to mid-twenties that I started playing things like Slender and stuff in groups because it was Mm. kind of fun to, you know, like, watch people get spooked and have a laugh at. And yeah, kind of from there I then started playing more than by myself, like, got Mm. into the Resident Evils, played some Silent Hills, things like Observer and Alien Isolation, things like that. And yeah, so I had a, I had a real, I had, had a real phase, and it, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, it was a phase, Mum, actually, <laughs> in my like, as I say, like in probably about my my late twenties for a couple of years, where I I really was into playing horror games. I've kind of gone away from them a bit now. I still play the odd one every now and then, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not as into that genre as I once was. I have to admit, I'm kind of on the opposite of the spectrum. I'm definitely more of a, no pun intended, for your favourite game, but I'm more of a observer. Than I am like an active participant because well I'm getting better now at playing them but when I was younger I used to be one of those people that would watch people on like YouTube play them and you know you would always get people who would have 
like the huge reactions they would go oh my goodness you know it's I don't know like oh it's a person from Outlast <laughs> that famous character person from Outlast get him in Smash come on let's get that trending but you would get these reaction videos where all of these like famous YouTubers would play these games and I would watch thinking oh this game isn't you know so scary and everything and this is kind of a moment that I do bring up quite a lot in the channel so I do apologise in advance Adam but one of the things that I do bring up a lot is one night where you and I played a lot of horror games together and I feel as if that is kind of one of the turning points where I started to warm up a little bit more to horror games. And out of curiosity, do you remember the games we played that night? Oh, well, I remember we played the first Five Nights at Freddy's. We tried Amnesia, didn't, couldn't really get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. we play some Slender? Did we play some Slender the Arrival, like the um the one that's on like consoles? I think we did. I can't remember if it's the same night, but we definitely played it. I think we maybe went on to that after Amnesia bored us to death. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was this night, but I remember you playing some of it that Emily wants to play, but I don't think it was the same night from what I recall. I think I think that was a different night. Are you sure? Because I'm sure you and I had a mutual friend over as well who left oh, just <laughs> because I'm sure he left just at the exact moment that we started to play Emily wants to play no coincidence I ask <laughs> I think not. Oh, Am yeah. I missing it? No, I think that was it, really. Um, four very distinct games under the same umbrella of horror. Some better than others. And that's the thing, though. Like, horror is much like comedy. It's very subjective. And it does appeal to certain types of people. You know, like, not everyone will be into, you know, like, games where, you know, for example, Dead by Daylight, not everyone's going to be into the slasher horror kind of game. Not everyone's going to be into the hide-and-seek aspects with Outlast. Not everyone's going to be into, like, atmospheric horror, like Little Nightmares or things like that. You know, the, there's a whole spectrum other than just, you know, the tagline, it's a spookum. Because <laughs> I, I think that's the danger with a lot of these games, that people just try to go into them for the spooks. Yeah. There's a lot of games like that where they have so much more to offer than just like, you know, oh, it's just the spookums. But because they've kind of... Like, have you ever come across a game like that where the hype kind of overrides the game itself? So, like, when a popular YouTuber plays it, like, let's say Five Nights at Freddy's, for example, you know, where every YouTuber and the mother started playing that game. Is there any other game like that that you feel as if kind of got overrun with hype? Well, I think Slender was, like, the very... Slender was maybe one of the first ones. Oh, yeah. Like, caught on you know and got people's attention and, and what and was like what like five nights at freddy's kind of followed followed that trend i mean i think five nights at freddy's is the example i would use because mm -hmm. it would have been it would have been interesting to have seen what my reaction to it would have been if i'd never like seen any if i just heard about it and never mm -hmm. like seen anybody play it yeah. you know because by the time we played it i was very well versed in exactly like what this game was and how it worked and you know mm -hmm. like what and everything and I even knew like some strategies for it and everything so it would have been interesting to have like seen what my reaction would have been have not seen all that you know the kind of buzz that was around it so I think that's the one that I, I would say the hype really overran in the fact that it was kind of impossible like you really had to try if you wanted to go into that game blind not to see anything because it was so like it was so omnipresent everywhere uh, yeah it was like 
plastered everywhere on the internet on youtube's homepage. before we jump into the main you know discussion of this episode this is kind of the danger of horror games and i don't know if you agree or not but do you ever feel as if all it takes is one trendsetter to influence like the other games a bit like how fps's go with you know like if you have call of duty and then a lot of other games after it because call of duty is so popular then they start to copy it and the same with fortnite you know that a lot of games have a battle royale mode because of it like do you feel as if the same applies to horror games definitely i mean like the horror gaming genre is one that i think is like i'm not saying game design is easy like at all but i feel like it's it's easier to make a horror game than it is to make like a a first person shooter or like a platformer or something so you know and it's fairly it's i say fairly again again just to overly simplify but it's probably fairly easy if you know what to if you know what you're doing to like make a knockoff five nights at freddy's Mm -hmm. or a knockoff slender you know they're quite simple games in a way mm-hmm. so I, I definitely think while while all gaming genres are are definitely like hostage to, to popular trends i think with in the case of like the horror genre for games i think it's just the ease that, that people can just churn out so many like knockoffs of whatever whatever games you know the fad of the month well without any further ado as we're kind of talking about these particular games should we jump into the main topic of today that of course being what makes a good horror game let's do it I've, I've, i'm wearing my brown trousers just in anticipation Mm -hmm. and while i look out my own brown trousers we are going to listen to some spooky messages so we will be right back in a couple of minutes Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that talks about topics from gaming and films to streaming and general interests. Previously on Shatsunami, we discussed Game of the Decade, Deadly Premonition, the romantic thriller Birdemic, and listen to us get all sappy as we discuss our top five Christmas films. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. We are Beer and Chill Podcast. Podcast where we review TV shows, games, movies, and whatever else takes our fancy. So what are you waiting for? If you're a cool kid like us, you're gonna listen to the Beer and Chill Podcast. You can get it anywhere from Spotify all the way to your grandmother's radio. My name is Jan. And I'm Craig C. And we are Beer and Chill. I don't know about you, but those are some spooky messages. I am thoroughly spooked, I must say. Spooked to my core. And my brown trousers. But that's beside the point. (laughs) So yeah, let's jump in. So today we are talking about what makes a good horror game. So I'm going to throw over the question to you, because I'm just like that. I'm sorry, Adam. The spookings are beginning. Oh no. So what, in your opinion, what would you say makes a good horror game? I think there's a lot of things that that contribute uh, to making a good horror game if i was going to pick some of the most important ones i would start by saying that like there's a real importance in nailing the sound and atmosphere of your horror game because that really those those two things really kind of lay the foundations for everything else that's kind of gets layered on top of it yes yeah, so i think those things are especially important um because they it's the sound and the atmosphere are the, are the elements that really kind of can draw you in and really kind of hook you and put you on edge you know and that's ideally what you want you want to be tense you want to be put on edge and um, when you're playing that and yeah so when, when i think of like the game the horror games that i've really enjoyed like the sound and the atmosphere have been like key parts of that like i think of something like little nightmares just the really 
like creepy atmosphere of that ship and you know the way the kind of like the light and the dark and just the, the like the environments themselves it, taking away like all the kind of the enemies and the monsters there just like the really creepy like in like environment and the atmosphere of that ship really just like set me up completely to be spooked and to be drawn in and the sound as well like you know the ambient sound but also the kind of creepy music there's like a bit at the end of the um end of little nightmares as you're getting as you're approaching like the final boss battle yeah, you might remember this but there's like mm -hmm. a character starts to like kind of hum i don't know if you know as, you, as you're like exploring like the kind of upper levels of the ship and you just hear this really ominous humming and it's just this like really simple tune but oh i remember like the shivers going down my spine and everything hearing that and my favorite horror game of all time and i'm gonna probably bang on this game a lot in this episode so apologies in advance <laughs> but a game called observer which takes place in this kind of like well majority takes place in this kind of crumbling apartment block and it's like it's kind of like blade runner inspired kind of like sci-fi uh, setting and you know, like you're you're investigating these murders throughout this apartment block and there's like those creepy things going on and there's kind of like almost like monsters like roaming around the building and chasing you and everything and just the atmosphere of that game it, that game was just dripping in atmosphere you can imagine and just the way it looked and everything and just exploring this apartment block I was just so full of dread and just anticipate like just anticipation for what was going to happen and again there was like the ambient sounds and everything just put me on edge so I think if you can nail both of those key things your sound and your atmosphere then you're off to a good start no i totally agree matthew i think that have you ever been on youtube and you've seen those videos that like for example in their original context they're like quite cheery videos and you know upbeat and things and as soon as you add like a sinister soundtrack to it like i think the example that comes to mind is the mary poppins trailer have you seen that the horror edit oh i've not seen it but i've heard of it <laughs> yeah it's for those of you who don't know it's basically just the Mary Poppins trailer but someone's put like a very sinister sound like just it's basically just an edit of the original Mary Poppins trailer with a very spooky soundtrack attached to it and it turns this film from being this very you know light-hearted and oh you know spiffing <laughs> adventure into this like grim dark horror thing and I do think that sound design definitely it plays a key part in these kind of games and especially with building atmosphere because can you imagine how underwhelming it would be if Little Nightmares didn't have those sounds and soundtrack? Oh yeah like I mean you, you would lose like that game would lose all of its like uh, when I say charm you know obviously charm <laughs> charm yeah. usually means something happy and good but like in the context of horror it would if you took away those parts of Little mm. Nightmares it would lose all of its charm and identity and probably be a pretty like mediocre experience honestly. I'm just thinking the state of you know the grim humming and things it's just like the producer's I don't know child <laughs> with his SoundCloud account it's like hey you want to hear my mixtape it's like um not in this game but thank you I don't you. want to hear the theme to Paw Patrol please I don't <laughs> but it's a remix it's like oh god no that's a horror in itself but going from that point you just made I'm gonna like take it back a bit and say that horror games for me like to be a good horror game they have to nail the basics like that, that, this is going to sound like a weird one it, it sounds like very general but trust me I've got a point yeah for me horror games definitely have to have like a fundamental understanding of of what they want to achieve if that makes sense you could create a horror game filled with jump scares and you know blood and gore and quote-unquote realistic graphics and all of this but if you've not got a point to it 
You know, it, it reminds me of, the, there was a video I saw ages ago with, um, I think it was Markiplier. Have you ever seen his uh, stuff? Yeah. Yeah, you know, that small indie, um, <laughs> small indie YouTuber called Markiplier. channel. Yes, <laughs> yes, in passing. And as you know, he does a lot of horror Let's Plays, which are really interesting because you get to see, like, all sorts of horror games coming through. And some of them are obviously better than others. Some of them are just, like, weird, indie, like, short games. And some of them literally emphasis on the short. And I remember one particular video, and it's always sat with me, and I don't know why, but it, it was this game where, I think it was called The Tunnel, or something very generic, where it was literally one guy walking through a dark tunnel. And every couple of minutes, he would get like, a scary image popping up. And, you know, it, it would be a very loud screaming sound, and all you hear would be the, ah! And he, he got to the end, and I have never seen anybody so bored looking in my life like he genuinely by the end of it he was just like okay uh, that's fine but that's the point like I'm making it's one thing to take like all these stock images you know stock sounds mash them all together and be like yeah this is what we want to do but if you don't have a point to the game then it's just a jumble really of noise and graphics isn't it yeah as you say like if you don't have like a central hook <laughs> then you're just it's just basically filler <laughs> isn't it at the end of the day and you know as you say like it's that way of like I think real horror comes from there being like a kind of core mm -hmm. you know there's like a reason for there's a reason for that character to be there like that you know whatever they're, if they're trying to escape or they're trying to find something or somebody you know mm -hmm. but if you don't have any of that stuff if it's just like random person walks through tunnel blah you know something jumps up at them then yeah exactly well, it's just a waste of everybody's time isn't it yeah because I mean look at games like I'm, I'm just trying to think like I mean Five Nights at Freddy's let's go back to that that is just a simple game of a um, security guard who is looking after a pizzeria that has like you know it has something more going on under the surface and everything and that in itself is a very basic premise but at the same time it does elicit some spooks because there's that anticipation that the animatronics are going to get you you know you're constantly on the watch and things it's keeping you busy and that kind of basis is like definitely a good starting point and I do think that other games like um, let's say Outlast for example that sets up the game right away. You know, you're a investigative reporter who has been tipped off that there are spookums going on in this haunted asylum. Or I should really stop saying that because it isn't haunted yet. But <laughs> you, you know what I mean. It's a creepy asylum. Yes, nothing. <laughs> Nothing wrong here, officer. You know, that that's the hook. And then you explore and the atmosphere builds and things. And it is. It's a great experience all round. Well, for the most part. But we, we, we will get to that later on. But yeah, I, I feel as if those kind of games definitely knew what they were all about. And I mean, going back to one of your personal favourites, Bioshock. I mean, that immediately drops you in. No pun intended. And yeah, it establishes the world. It establishes what your, you know, what your purpose is there. And basically how to survive. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think the, the other, like, key element that I would say. So I think there's really three kind of pillars mm -hmm. uh, to this, this question from my perspective 
perspective, which is you got sound, you got atmosphere, and I think the last one is pacing. I think horror games work at their best when sort of the developers and the game designers keep a very tight leash on mm-hmm. the player's actions. You know, some other games, it's better if you can like kind of let the player explore and kind of, you know, to use that great phrase, play the game their way, you know, play the game your way. But I think for a horror game, like you really want to keep like, you really want the designer to keep their hand on like the, you know, the tiller and like really control mm-hmm. how the game's unfolding. And you really like, like all games need good pacing, but like with a horror game, you really have to find that sweet spot of giving the player like, you know, high moments of high stress and tension and horror, whatever you're going for. But you also need those points where there's just nothing happening. And it's just a chance to get, it's either a chance to like allow the player to breathe and feel a bit of safety or even like, you know, let their imaginations run wild, you know, let them run riot. Because as human human beings, we often build up situations in our head, like much more than they're ever going to be. You know, if anybody's ever been to a job interview, for example, yeah. I'm sure you built up in your head to be like the most stressful, like the worst thing ever. You know, so often we're, our imaginations are the best at like running riot and, and like stressing ourselves out. But that pacing thing. And it's funny because I was thinking about this game that I played a few years back called The Sinking City, which is a kind of Lovecraft-inspired game in the kind of Cthulhu uh, mythos. And so it was like a kind of survival horror game, but it was it was set in an open world taking place across this like city that was like basically sinking as the title implied and full of these kind of eldritch horrors the prop and like so basically you would kind of explore the city and you'd often have to go into like buildings and stuff and there you'd get attacked by all these kind of like lovecraftian monsters the problem with it was that because it was an open world game so you walk into a house and say you get attacked by these monsters if it's just too much then you just walk out the house and go somewhere else in the city and you're like you know it really really undercut any kind of like horror that they were building while if i think of something like again i'm gonna bring it up if i think of something like observer that was such a tightly crafted experience that like it was very linear and i was there's not much like scope for the player to really explore that much you can a little bit but you can't really go too far so like you're always kind of getting forced like down these paths and everything and like the designers have have built it around so you have moments of like slow slow you know slow nothing really happening the atmosphere is kind of you know infecting you and everything and then there's moments of high stress where you're having to run away you're having to hide whatever and it did sit a fantastic job of like balancing those two ingredients so i think that is a really crucial one honestly as well i think horror games are the best when they're relatively short observer was only maybe about four hours like i think i honestly think something like a a four to six hour experience is probably the best for a horror game because like that way if it it overstays its welcome something like alien isolation just stayed which was just too long for me so it it turned from being like a a terrifying experience to actually quite like a frustrating one Mm -hmm. so yeah i think pacing is a really crucial element if you want to make a good horror game short and sweet essentially yeah Yeah. unlike my answer there short and sweet (laughs) is i've actually got a question for you going off that point what are your opinions on player agency in relation to all of that because i'm just thinking of games like as we said before like um little nightmares outlast amnesia to a certain extent but you know those kind of games where you don't have really much to fight back with you know like slender as well that's another one i mean even five nights of freddy's the list could go on (laughs) emily wants to play you know like there's a lot of games you get where you know you're completely defenseless you have nothing to defend yourself and some games even go as far to say listen just don't fight them please for the love of god we coded this game for a reason don't fight them whereas there's some other games like resident evil and bioshock and maybe observer 
I mean, do you get like a lot of defenses on that? No, no, Observer is very much in the Outlast mold. Is it? Okay. But yeah, like, what do you think? Like, how does that fit in? It's a really good question. I think both approaches can work as horror experiences. I think Mm -hmm. there is something incredibly terrifying about not being able to defend yourself Mm -hmm. and just having to flee and hide that. that There is like a a special kind of terror in that. So I think that's really effective. And just from the fact that I think as well from how popular that kind of subset of horror, horror games are, how many there are of that just kind of goes to show. But I think as well, even if you give the player things to defend themselves with, you can still craft a really, really like terrifying experience. Mm. And a lot of that comes as well from like giving the player ways to defend themselves, but giving making sure there's a lack of resources. Mm-hmm. So that was a big, that's a big thing in kind of a lot of the early Resident Evils and some of the early Silent Hills. Like there are weapons, but you know, melee weapons break. There's not a lot of ammo. It's difficult to find, you know, enemies can be a bit spongy. Mm-hmm. So often it's that kind of like, you're having to make like strategic choices about like, is it worth taking the zombie out or am I better just trying to like duck and dodge around them, you know, and just yeah. like get on my way and everything. And that adds a lot of tension as well. And so I think you, you can do it. Um, and like another one of my like, a level that I've brought up quite a few, <laughs> on quite a few different episodes, it's not from a horror game, but it is a horror level, uh, the Ravenholm level in Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 is a first person shooter. And so, you, you know, you've got a, you've got a pretty good arsenal by the time Ravenholm is about uh, just towards the end of the first half of the game so you have a fairly decent arsenal when you enter this like spooky like deserted town filled with all these like zombies and monsters and everything but it's a truly terror I found it absolutely terrifying it didn't matter like how many like the fact that I had machine guns and shotguns and grenades and everything I was like absolutely like I was sweating it and everything I couldn't wait to get out and so it's totally possible to like to make a, a horror game out from either approach but it is that I think there is something special if you want to give like a player like some agency to defend themselves and everything making it like that lack of resources to force to get adds an extra level so you can't like you can't only not only you like engage with the terror of the situation but you're like oh god I have to try and stay kind of rational to make yeah. decisions which adds another layer to it so either I think both approaches have mm-hmm. the merits and kind of just going to like what you were saying there about Half-Life 2 being like a you know like a first person shooter first and foremost and then all of a sudden turning into this horror experience I think the other example I'm thinking of is Gears of War did you ever play Mm. the original one yeah yeah, because while the other ones did turn into the huge you know over the top Michael Bay like action face the first one although it was kind of similar because let's face it you know it's big muscle men with like huge chainsaw guns and you know it's it's like the typical games that were kind of coming out for the Xbox at the time but there's like one particular level in that where you meet the Berserker and like for those of you who don't know the Berserker is like this huge like creature that's blind but it can hear you and it's like this huge hulking mass and charges you. I remember the first time I saw that and I was terrified because I was like throughout the whole thing it was like oh oh yeah, I'm just shooting aliens. Well, you know, that's a whole other point. But you know, oh, I'm shooting these creatures and yay, I'm having fun and everything, even though it was quite dark and gothic to begin with. And then all of a sudden, the way they build it up, they just show you the creature's shadow and they show you like the guy getting tore, like off screen, but they show him or they let you hear the aftermath of like just a regular guy bumping into this creature, getting torn apart, the screams and everything. And you think, oh my God, what is what is going to happen to me and then later on in the series they kind of like diminish that impact to when it just becomes like another boss with a bigger health bar but at that time in that game 
it is done so effectively and it almost comes out of nowhere like it is a, as I said it's a dark game but I didn't expect that like I mean when you first played it did you expect that kind of level no not at all and there's actually there's actually a lot it's been a while since I played the first Gears of War <laughs> but there's actually quite a few of them. I think back to like the Krill as well who are this kind <laughs> of like Swarm of Bat type enemy, which is very, which is almost like something like Dracula, like Dracula esque, you know, in a way that you need to run from light source to light source because you, there's you have no way to actually defend yourself against them. Like light is the only mm. light is your only real defense, and like that's very horror inspired, and it, it was mm. a, a kind of a, a kind of shocking departure. You know, it's a game that, as you say, you've been built up to be this like you know hulking like space marine basically you know who can, who can like chainsaw his way through swarms of of, of aliens and yeah so to, to have that kind of sense of power powerlessness like all, all your all your, your you know your shiny guns and your big chainsaws can't do anything mm-hmm. you know to defend you against them is a is a really like there is that it's that way of the rug pulled from under you isn't it and i mean it's kind of an example of horror games getting a bit more creative isn't it Oh, yeah and it, it's that way it shows it shows like in a way kind of the ubiquity of horror in a way that you know you don't have to like horror games aren't just horrors or is not just for horror games per se you know you can it is a it is like a, a genre that can be like supplanted into another type of game even if it is just for for a brief stint and it just shows as well like that you know you, you don't have to it's not just a stereotype if you have to be some weedy guy weedy person who has to hide in lockers you know to, to make a horror game you, you can to have a horror experience you can make a horror game from like you know people who are are like armed to the armed to the teeth with like veritable arsenals of weapons you can still make an effective horror experience i mean just look at games like dead space where you do technically have an arsenal but at the end of the day you you know you're eventually going to run out of bullets or exactly. you're going to run out of resources and once that happens you're screwed i mean it's the same for games like technically would you say that games like bloodborne and dark souls would you say they're horror games i don't know if i'd say they're horror games like they're definitely like elements of horror to them, you know, mm-hmm. especially Bloodborne. I bet Dark Dark Souls as well, in fairness. But I, again, like you could argue they're horror games, but I don't know. Like I would maybe say horror adjacent. Yeah, you know that like they are. In fairness, they, they're probably of their own. Like what we we now say Souls s games, don't we? Now is it yeah. Souls. Is that what we say now? For that, for that, that genre has become, but definitely horror adjacent at the very least. They're they are informed by you know different aspects of horror, whether it's like your more traditional like werewolves and things like that, and Bloodborne, or more kind of like mythical like creatures, you know, and Dark Souls. What about games though that take the horror over the top? So I'm thinking of games like similar to what you were saying there about games that have hints of horror like for example doom where you know it's like it's overrun with all of these they're not aliens or demons aren't they they're demons yeah like would you include a game like that into the horror category that's a really that's a really good example that you brought because <laughs> i was actually thinking about this this earlier like from an aesthetic point of view doom is without a, you Doom. if you just look at doom you're like that's a horror game you know, as you say, demons from hell—they look like they look like scary. Like if I think if there were any other game, you'd be like they'd be terrifying monsters and everything, and it, it looks like that. But I wouldn't say Doom's a horror game at all. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to that. It comes down to this idea of empowering the player. Doom is the ultimate like power fantasy in so many ways, and that you know you're mm-hmm. loaded up with all these like ridiculous weapons. That it's not as it's not a scary franchise. I mean, Doom three, Doom three is the kind of outlier in this one. But like most of the main Doom games, like they're not scary at all because you've got so you've got like chainsaws and like super mm-hmm. shotguns and bfgs and everything like that there's no reason to be scared because you can like rip and tear 
tear through the legions of hell at your will, mm-hmm. basically because you're almost like a literal god mm-hmm. in, in that sense. But by disempowering a character, you can make an experience so much more terrifying. So something mm-hmm. like Silent Hill 2, which is often held up as like one of like the, the great masterpieces of the horror of the horror gaming genre, that's just you're just playing as a guy called James Sunderland, who's just basically your average regular dude. There's weapons in the game, but you know, James isn't isn't like combat trained or anything. So he swing when he's swinging a pipe or a, a, a two by four, like it's it's that way like you'd imagine somebody who's unaccustomed to doing it just like mm-hmm. wildly swinging. He's not very accurate with weapons, you know, not particularly good with them as somebody like that would be. But and just, you know, and like the enemies in Silent Hill 2 in many ways don't maybe look as terrifying as the demons from Doom. But it's just that sense of you feel much more helpless as James Sunderland than you ever do as as Doom guy, Doom Marine, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call him. So just by that way of disempowering a character, you can just you can just up the horror so much. Would you say like that the further you do empower a character, like the more items you give to defend themselves, the less it moves away from or sorry, the more it moves away from the horror genre and more into something else? Like action, shooter, that kind of thing? Completely. Like there's um I just finished playing up Resident Evil Village uh, like last month and for the most part like it that is a horror game. It's not a particularly scary one because again like I feel like they give you they give your character a lot more weapons and a lot more chance to upgrade weapons and get ammo and stuff. Um, but still, like, you know, there are points in that game where you're having to, like, you know, you are running low on things and you're desperately searching and it can get quite tense. But there's a point in the game where you play, uh, you take on the role of another character who's, like, a, a special forces soldier who's, like, armed with, like, grenades and flashbang grenades and, like, tons of, like, machine gun ammo. And the game, it just turns into almost something like COD Modern Warfare mm. at that point. And it's just, it's not scary. You're just mowing through all these enemies that were like could be quite tense and, and scary to an extent like you know in the in the kind of when you're playing most of the game but they're just rendered like cannon fodder you know because you're because you're you're like you know, you're you're geared up basically you know and everything so completely like i think the minute you empower the player to like defend themselves or like even to to the extent where it's not even like you're defending yourself you're actually on the offensive you know mm-hmm. you're taking the fight to like the demons or monsters or whatever mm-hmm. it is that just this the scares go the scares mm-hmm. go out the window at that point because why would you be scared you know <laughs> the, the enemy should be scared of you it's yeah. the complete reverse of it would you say though that kind of going to the opposite side of that i mean it shows you the spectrum of games that we're looking at here on you know the in the horror genre because look at uh, resident evil village here where again although it's considered to be a horror game you know as, as you said you get all these weapons to defend yourself you're able to you know at least put up a fight compared to something like outlast like if you swap them around you know do you think outlast would be scary if you had a gun or a lead pipe or something to defend yourself you know it would probably be less intimidating than you're being able to defend yourself but still it's classed as you know a horror game but kind of going on that point do you think there's maybe like a case where there's too much of that where the player doesn't get enough defense and it almost feels as if like it's a bit unfair or it just doesn't work the same i i definitely think so i mean i think maybe one thing to say about like a lot of these games that do like completely disempower the player and like there's no way to defend yourself at all they kind of can feel a bit repetitive in a way yeah. Like, you know, it does kind of feel like once you've played one, like once you've played a couple, you've kind of, you can kind of tell, you know, you're like, okay, like I, I know the deal with this. It can be frustrating as well, because especially sometimes you look around the environment of some of these games, you're like, why aren't they just picking up this? Why aren't yeah. they picking up this? just like swing around like you know so again and that that's a way like that kind of breaks your immersion i think 
like all games are, are better when you're more immersed in them but especially i think a horror game if you can really put yourself in there like you know you, you, you that that's going to make it such a more scary experience but when you look around you're like why isn't he why isn't the character picking this up <laughs> like why are they doing <laughs> is going to defend them why can't you push like why can't you like block or something like you know i i think it can be a very frustrating thing as you like it, it just seems unrealistic and you, you're like okay fine maybe the character's terrified but you know th there does come that adrenaline thing isn't it it's not always flight there's also some fight in there as well so yeah i, I totally think like it, it can be a bit like aggravating to an extent where you're like oh god like i have to go and hide again and it's, it's it depends as well i think on the difficulty mm -hmm. of something with like a game that i really liked the first half of and i thought was an, i thought maybe it's one of the best horror experiences ever alien isolation the first half of the game is so tense and like anytime the alien shows up you know i was freaking out and like mm -hmm. you know and, and that game gives you what you can't kill the alien but you can defend yourself like there's like flame there's like a flamethrower you can have which if you get it off in time will like make the alien the alien flee so you've got a chance to like recover and get away you know and go back to what you're doing and that was a really really tense experience but like there comes there's a point later in the game where you have to go through um and slight spoilers ahead here so skip ahead 20 30 seconds um if you don't want to know like there's a point where you have to go through like an alien hive and it's such a confined space and there's a couple of aliens and basically there's no way to hide from them they're going to find you at points so you have to just basically save enough flame for ammo to like get through it and it was such an aggravating experience as i was like oh my god like right go into this little bit get my flame for out you know blast away make a bit more progress rinse and repeat and it was just it, i wasn't scared in the slightest i was just annoyed so i think that's a real danger of that kind of like hide and seek approach to horror and i think repetition does like kill what could be a good horror game yeah like i'm just trying to think of other games that were played like uh, as we said before and i know i keep bringing up five nights at freddy's but it seems to kind of like encapsulate everything that's right and wrong with horror games in a way like on the one hand it's short it's sweet it's simple you know you can blast through it in a couple of hours the downside to it is it's very repetitive and once you've been jump scared a couple of times because when you and i were playing it we were sitting there like by the end of the night we were just like oh we got spooked again oh no you know it's not something that is engaging anymore like as soon as you get that one cheap shock same with slender whether it was the eight pages or you know the new one was that just slender the arrival yeah because yeah. there was a particular scene in that i remember where you're in a i think it's a warehouse or a factory and one of slender man's proxies come after you and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to shine a torch in his face to like ward him off and although that sometimes does work there are like other times where you know you miss him or something and it just gets annoying that every time he keeps you know appearing in front of you or you just die and that's it like there's no recovery period there's no nothing you just you're, you're just dead it's like there's no comeback from it you just have to keep repeating over and over again the same thing i mean i think that was probably our issue with amnesia and i'm gonna touch the elephant in the room here so apologies if you hear it in the background <laughs> but yeah i personally was not a big fan we only played it for a couple of hours to be fair but i personally wasn't a big fan of it but i'm gonna let you explain so i can get my car keys 
and run away <laughs> as the mob come to your door. <laughs> Smart move. I think the problem with amnesia is, and I'll be kind to the game and say that I think when me and you were, were having that night of playing horror games, mm-hmm. we kind of wanted games that like got the horror in early. Yeah. You know, like got the scares in. Amnesia's not that kind of game. It is a game that kind of builds itself up. And I, I don't think maybe we were in the right mood for yeah. it, you know that kind of more drawn out experience but like it just felt from what i recall anyway it just felt like not nothing was really happening and it was one of these things where we had to, it was like a key hunt a glorified mm-hmm. key hunt we had to find things and it was like what what are we even looking for it wasn't really clear what we were looking for and where to find it and it, it just got frustrating i would second that it was one of those games that ah, like where do i even begin with this like it's a slow burner emphasis on the slow where you know it's got the atmosphere and everything and i again like i do agree i think if we were in the right headspace to tackle it together then maybe we would have had a better time but that's the thing and going back to like a previous point I made at the beginning I think Amnesia is one of those games that was killed by the hype small indie YouTubers like PewDiePie and Markiplier haha and all of those they played these games religiously when they came out you know making scare compilations they were screaming into the camera and things and that I mean for me personally that gave me the impression that this was like a spookum game you know that immediately you were going to get the spooks like right away but yeah the spooks never came uh, I was waiting at the window <laughs> wondering when my spooks would come but they never did. It was a shame though because maybe like maybe I'm not giving it enough credit but something else I would say and I think maybe this is more on the player rather than like the developers themselves but I think personally to get like the best experience of a horror game you have to do it in short bursts. Great. Like unless it's like a game that's really short they can do it in one sitting so to kind of give context last year in 2020 i streamed outlast um little nightmares and condemned criminal origins three like brilliant games in their own respective rights but with outlast and little nightmares i was able to complete them in about four hours give or take in one sitting for Condemned Criminal Origins I tried doing the same and yeah it did not go well I ended up sitting there for six hours trying to complete it and now I'm just like sick of the game like uh, and that's the thing it's like Condemned has like a lot of really creepy moments like when you're in the shopping centre and all the mannequins come to life you know when you're down in the basements of places things like that are really creepy but really interesting but playing it for six hours straight was not the way to experience it like would you agree with that oh completely like i I mean because i played condemned as well um and i i did it in a much more like in much more shorter bursts and i enjoyed it far more than Mm -hmm. you did and so i i can totally see what you're saying and i I think that's the thing with something like five nights at freddy's as well i think that game would work best in about a 20 minute sitting Mm -hmm. you know 20 minutes you get really scared you get really freaked out and then you switch it off and do something else and then come back to it and as you as you said before like we didn't we like stayed with it and it was just like okay another jump scare another death do it again oh 
another jump scare, another death, you know, and it just it just lost all its kind of charm. So I completely agree. Short bursts are the way to play these games for the most part. And going back to like a previous point you mentioned, honestly, I feel like an interviewer just now or like an investigator being like, <laughs> going back to what you said when you said you were there on December 5th. <laughs> Columboing me right now. Exactly. Oh God, I-, I wish I had the jacket for Columbo. <laughs> one day, one day I'll have the voice and the coat. But anyway, sorry, my childhood dreams aside, I'm just thinking back to what you were saying before because you said about the like a good horror game should have like characters or rather the players on a short leash and they should be kind of directing them you know in a certain way what about games like until dawn um man of medan you you know those kind of like story games basically of. Yeah, basically the the horror games that David Cage wishes they could make. <laughs> kind of choice-driven ones. Yeah. I think they can work as well, because I, I really enjoyed Until Dawn. I still think they're, they are very highly scripted in mm-hmm. that way that like you are going to end up in kind of a lot of the same situations. Mm-hmm. But uh, granted, you, you are right in that you do have more agency in like, you know, who lives and who dies, you know, not, not that you always know exactly that that's going to be the outcome from your decision. So yeah, no, I, I think a choice-driven uh, experience can really work as well and like that adds a more another level of tension uh mm-hmm. to affairs you know as you say because you are like oh god like I, by making this character on this corridor have i like killed them you know or what's going to happen here so that definitely is a very effective way to do horror like again i still think it, it, it it's in that way of like being it's still quite a tight leash it's not as tight like observer or outlast or something like that but like still again it is quite it is quite like you know you are being very much guided through it like it's not like an open world where you can go and explore and stuff but definitely a, it's a good point to bring up a choice driven experience because that that extra level of like your decisions matter you know um really can just just adds a whole extra layer of horror to the mm. to the proceedings so i was just thinking about games like the the way you were talking about open worlds games or you know like kind of sandboxy horror experiences unlike you know gta you have the blair witch project which came out a couple of years ago and that of course is you know that's the point of the blair witch project there's like a huge forest where the characters themselves get lost but in terms of the game it goes back to your point of you know you get really frustrated with it because there's like just so much going on and you need like certain items to like continue that's the thing it's again going on to this idea of repetition you're doing the same thing over and over again until you know until you eventually progress but by that point you know you're sick of the game so when something does like pop out you're like oh Okay, you do know I've been in this wood for like <laughs> for like ten years now, and they're like, "Yeah, we know," you know. And that's the thing, though. It goes back to your thing of like repetition ruining a game, and yeah, I feel as if that kind of dulls the experience, which it is a shame because it can kill off some really memorable experiences. Oh, completely. Like you know, um, as I said, like I will always hold up Alien Isolation uh, as the example of that, and what I thought was absolutely fantastic like concept and a game that was like for the first half was was executed flawlessly just was basically almost ruined in the end because it just it just outstayed its welcome and it was just frustrating 
And it's really a shame. Did you ever feel like that in other games, though? I'm just trying to think of games that, again, like, the developers give the player a little bit more freedom to fight back, like um, Dead Space, for example, or, like, Condemned. Like, did you ever feel bored with that to the same extent, I mean? Not to the same extent as Alien Isolation, because I didn't didn't find those games as frustrating. I certainly find with some of the Resident Evil games, especially some of the later ones, especially Seven Seven and Village, they do become they do start to get quite combat heavy mm-hmm. towards the end and that can become quite repetitive i know it's, it's frustrating per se but like it can become like very much like tr- you're trudging like one room to the next and then like oh another like swarm of monsters to like kill here and stuff and it kind of it just seems to be a thing that those games kind of resort to after a while and it, it becomes you're just like oh it's a shame because it kind of it kind of loses the charm mm-hmm. that it had the game had as it becomes just like a kind of like a box standard shooter and then you start to notice that the shooting controls aren't that good like you know <laughs> which is actually something that can be quite good early in the game because it adds the tension but when you're like fighting swarms and be like oh my god like you know it's not- <laughs> these shots are missing um so yeah like not to the same extent as alien isolation but like it is a common thing in, in horror games is they mm. they almost kind of almost want to like transition into a different genre and you're like no just yeah. just stay know what you're doing it's actually good don't don't be like a mediocre don't be like a below average version of something else no that completely makes sense because i'm just thinking of when resident evil took that shift and i think it was probably around resident evil 5 maybe yeah much yeah. more combat yeah, especially, you know, the boulder punching, which I would have, like, put a spoiler warning, but I, I get the feeling that everybody knows that scene, whether they're Resident Evil fans or not. But yeah. Say, like, unless you've been living under a rock, but the chances are that rock was uppercutted. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that rock is in the atmosphere by now, the amount of times it's been punched. But yeah, that that's the way it seems to have gone. And even games like I mean, uh, granted, I haven't played many Silent Hill games because I am terrified of them. I do think, like, I have seen other people play them and it does, like, build up a huge atmosphere. But one of the games that I did notice people panning was Silent Hill Homecoming, which seems to take a completely different approach. Like, it's still got the horror elements. and know it's got Pyramid Head, which, yeah, you know, there's a whole, like, fight about that, about why Pyramid Head after Silent Hill 2 makes no sense but you know what we gotta get those Funkos in that, that's all I'm saying anyway yeah like that seemed to be a bit more combat heavy like it still had its like don't get me wrong it's not like Resident Evil by any means like I'm not saying oh it's turned into Resident Evil but it does seem like a lot of horror games either are going in one direction or the other they're going in this sense of do you want the player to have nothing or do you want them to have something you know it's the blue pill red pill kind of yeah. thing it's like do you want them to have something to defend themselves with or do you just want just like a running simulator horror games can often fall into that the trap of well it's not really a trap but one of the big fundamental problems with like the horror game genre is they don't always make the most money yeah you know out of they're not always it's not always the most popular and it's not always the ones that like as i say like get the highest sales compared to things like shooters or you know your, your quote-unquote mm-hmm. action adventure games so almost a lot of horror especially the mainstream kind of horror titles try to almost kind of lean into that genre and that's the resident evil games became that for a while five really started like flirting with action adventure and then six was like you know by the time of six they were, they were fully married uh, mm-hmm. together and as much as like six is the worst resident evil main 
main Serious Resident Evil game, I think it's still the one that's probably sold the most and sold the best. Oh, because really? it's an action-adventure game. That is more attractive to people, you know, to a bulk of people than like a survival horror experience. So I, I feel like they get caught in that way of developer uh, publishers and developers are like, well, we want this game to sell. It's that way of what's popular. Action adventures popular. People like those kind of games, like your Uncharted's and things like that. Let's lean into that, you know, and, and introduce a lot more elements. And as you say, Silent Hill: Homecoming was the was a prime example of that. Where I think that's the game where you can combat roll. Which mm. to think back to something like Silent Hill Two, as I was saying, with its like clunky controls and like you know James Sunderland's like swinging, like <laughs> swinging, like madly swinging around like a two by four with no clue what he's doing. To then think that like a few games later, your your main protagonist would be combat rolling around with like a veritable arsenal. Like it's just anathema to what that series was. They wanted to go with the trends and wanted it to sell was homecoming the one that they had the psychological profile or was that another one? Ooh, I th- oh i i can't remember i'm gonna be honest yeah. i can't remember it might have been but yeah i, I can't yeah. say because i remember and i have to admit until dawn did this as well probably better but they did a thing where they basically asked the player a couple of questions and they say hey, what are you afraid of wink wink are you afraid of this are you afraid of that and then they tailor the experience based on that you know like oh you're afraid of clowns and then in the next chapter a clown's gonna pop up are you afraid of spiders i mean who isn't and <laughs> you know spiders are gonna pop up that kind of thing and i think that is really good but would you say and i Again, I'm sorry, I'm hitting you with the hard questions today. Would you say that there is like a danger of these kind of games being too ambitious? I think that's a really good point. And I, and I think you're completely right in that way of, do you mean in the sense of like, having like big locations and like high-end like graphics and like different gameplay styles and stuff. is that the kind of way that you mean like yeah I, I suppose like if it's a successful horror game it would build on the success of you know its predecessor but at the same time it says right we're not just going to have the same game as last time we're going to put in you know mechanic x mechanic y you know put a little bit of zedge we'll sprinkle that on we'll you know make it bigger better bombastic we'll make it that basically a former shell of itself because i have to admit like going back to resident evil if you compare resident evil 1 to resident evil 6 like the two seem like completely different games and yeah. it's like the same as well with <laughs> this is a favorite example of yours with dead space 1 compared to dead space 3 but... i was just thinking that yeah <laughs> Because that this is the thing, like you know, you made a great point there about how external factors can ruin what makes a good horror game, especially games like Dead Space, as we were saying there, Dead Space One versus Three. Dead Space One is this very claustrophobic, dark, gritty game where you're fighting through this abandoned spaceship. Versus Three, which, to the best of my knowledge, is just like it's just a shooter. It it basically is like it, it is that third person like. Like almost cover shoot. Um, yeah, it's almost cover shooting from what I from what I recall. Uh, in that sense, I I completely agree that that like ambition, you know, the ambition of wanting to be like a kind of like a really successful like you know um, top of the sales chart title can mm-hmm. like completely destroy what may what makes a great horror experience because you're cat- trying to cater to a much bro- broader audience mm-hmm. not everybody's into horror so you know there's like let's downplay these elements and resident evil and dead space are the absolute prime examples as uh, silent hill as well i think to an extent as well mm-hmm. but those three are the absolute prime examples of that of like that you know say selling out but it is almost like selling out you know in that sense i think as well in terms of ambition there can sometimes be a danger of a, a sequel to a horror game like almost trying to like one-up itself you yeah. know one-up 
predecessor. I think of Outlast mm-hmm. in that regard. Now, I've not played. I've played Outlast, and I played it. I played his DLC, but I never played Outlast Two. But from what I've seen and what I've heard, Outlast Two just was like it seemed that the main design, like the main, the key point when they were designing the game was like, right, how can we top everything that we did in Outlast One? Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of games think that, but it was just like, how can we top the gore? Like, how can we like top the shock value and stuff? So, very famous example is very like one of the first enemies that you meet in the game. Like, if, if the enemy catches you, like throw you to the ground and like sorry it's a bit explicit imagery coming up here but they have a giant axe which they'll slam into you that your character's groin mm-hmm. and then need to rip out you know and you're kind of like well i feel like i've seen everything in this game now you know like mm-hmm. as shocked as you might be in the first instance mm-hmm. you know like wh- where's there to go mm-hmm. from there you know that was like zero to a hundred in like a second you mm-hmm. know there's no that way there's no pacing there's no build-up to anything like that no build-up or anything at all so i think there can be a danger of that as well of like just trying to be like how can we just one-up ourselves to the extreme and like ruining your game in that sense i have to admit i, I totally agree with you there because i've seen the playthroughs as well and i mean i've seen like a lot of streamers and um, play it as well and it is it's just although Outlast 1 is gory it almost and I can't believe I'm justifying this but it almost feels as if there's a purpose for most of it not all of it like there's some bits you're just like why is this in the game to begin with you know like mutilation and everything but it's like a basic premise you know it's a reporter goes into a haunted or not, I keep saying haunted there's no ghost well there is one ghost but spoilers yeah <laughs> I mean, there, there's one Casper lurking around, but you know, yeah, nah, I jest. He's not, he's not friendly. He has a ghost, but he's not friendly. He goes into this asylum just with the sole purpose of trying to figure out what's going on, and it's a simple plot. For Outlast Two, they do a similar thing where it's like a husband and wife duo. Um, so how to put this nicely? Their helicopter crashes, and they end up in this like very fundamentally religious town. It doesn't hit the same chords I would say like from what I've seen of it it just seems gorier it seems you know just more disgusting and this is the thing because I think Dead Space 2 did a similar thing for its marketing where they did a thing where it was like they got people's mums in I don't know if you've ever seen this advert but they got people's mums in to like watch clips of Dead Space 2 and the tagline was something like oh Dead Space 2 is so gory that your mum won't approve of it like a very weird advert <laughs> you know like what, what, why would your mum be watching you playing dead space but anyway i digress but that's the thing though is as you said it's trying to build up on what came before it and you know you, you've obviously if you've got like a hit game you've got to usurp the previous one you've got to say what's gonna happen in this game that's gonna you know shock the people even further and if that means more gore then or you know more action or more set pieces that kind of show like a more bombastic side of it compared to just having like a silent slow experience then yeah that, that's just going to detract from what makes a horror game good that's the nail on the head there like completely so just as a final you know talking point to wrap up for the night before we go trick-or-treating actually i tell a lie <laughs> there, there's still time there's still before time before we lock ourselves in and <laughs> get away from the trick-or-treaters i know who am i kidding I, i'm acting as if we're like 12 years old all over again <laughs> it's like no we're on the other side of the door where we turn off the lights and then eat all the candy you know <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, as a closing point, what are your final thoughts on this topic? So I would I would reiterate that I for me the three if you want to make a good horror game, focus on sound atmosphere and pacing and i think as well i would also posit like for any game developers or, or feature game developers listening to this i posit two questions to consider if you're making a horror game number one is think about how you're going to sustain the horror because a lot we've we've kind of discussed this like this before but a lot of games that maybe start off as horror games lose that mm-hmm. you know through whatever whatever reason things like alien isolation or some of the resident evil games five nights at freddy's it's a very difficult thing to keep and sustain that horror for a whole gaming experience Experience. So that's a key point I would think about. And number two, I'd also say, well, how are you going to compel your player to keep playing? Because let's face it, if a game is far too scary, then like, you know, you're going to turn it off, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, like you're going to be like, oh, well, what's the reason for me to carry on? But if you can, if you can create a compelling narrative or like a satisfying gameplay loop or whatever it is, something to keep a play, or, like a good pacing, you know, there's a, it doesn't feel too overwhelming. You can get your your player to keep progressing through and to experience the whole game. So think about those two questions as well, because I think they're very key as well to, to making a good horror game. I feel as if the central question really that we're coming away with today is why why should this horror game exist like especially as you said if anybody's listening to this and trying to write down tips furiously please pause <laughs> and then come back to us but yeah you've got to ask yourself why this game's created like what is the main objective of it because i, I mean i can sit here as like an armchair gamer you know and be like i want a horror game with you know deep plots and you know spookums and jump scares but i also want robots and guns yeah you, you get a lot of people like that who want like contradicting things <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is why we've got Dead Space 3, but that's beside the point. Then analyze the issue. It's like, why are you making this game? Are you making it to spook people? Are you making it to provide like a richer narrative for your world? Like, for example, Slender. Which I have to admit, while the arrival, I, I wouldn't say it's great, but at the same time, it's not the worst. I, I appreciate it for like them trying something different, if you know what yeah. I mean. It, it, it's all fair and good for people to be like, oh, it's a terrible game and things, but the fact they tried a story like says a lot about it, and I admire them for it, at least taking a stab at it, because there's nothing worse than a game being lazy, especially with its horror, and just saying, oh, look, a jump scare, there we go. I mean, one of the worst jump scares I ever had, fun fact, you know, Chats and Ami exclusive here, was when I played the original, uh, not the original, but Call of Duty 3. Did you ever play that when it came out? Yeah, no, I, play, I played that on release. Do you remember the very first mission where you go into the abandoned house and one of the enemies pops out and like grabs your gun and you're supposed to mash like circle or B or whatever console you're playing on? That made me jump out my skin, could I just say? Because I was just expecting, oh, you're going to shoot people and that's it. And it used to terrify me every time because I never knew when they were just going to, you know, jump out and get you. And, you know, again, that's not a horror game. That's, well, horrors of war. (laughs) I don't want to undersell the war too bad. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, at least it's better than the horror that came after it. That, of course, being the zombies franchise, which is we're not unpacking that mess. 
you know, like even though that is like a spin-off of it, the yeah, that that's another example, as you said, of like giving too much power to the players and you know, you can gun them down and it just becomes a power fantasy. So yeah. to kind of like summarize my long-winded ramble there, yeah, like why is the horror game being created? You know, that that that's the central point here. And then after that, yeah, you just gotta make sure you build up the atmosphere, the sound design, basically everything you've touched on, Adam. I'm, I'm just stealing your notes now, if that's right. Hey, <laughs> <back>. Never. Never. <laughs> but, you, but you did, you made like a lot of great points there. Like, would you say that it is like an interdependent relationship between the players and the developers that the players have to kind of give feedback and kind of let the developers know what's working, what isn't working. This is like in a perfect world I'm thinking of because I know at the end of the day, like not everyone likes horror games and if it was up to the player base, they would probably want like a shooter horror like hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. And in a perfect world, we would get the perfect like horror experience with VR and robots and uh, all, all of that good stuff. On that final spooky note, thank you so much, Adam, for joining me once again in this episode. You are most welcome. I'll be off to go change my trousers now. Another pair soiled <laughs> for the year. But that's why you wear brown trousers. I mean, why I own the own brown trousers. I know you're going to speedrun this spookum. <laughs> this spookum atmosphere. What is it they say in speedruns? It's like soiled percent or something like that. <laughs> speedrun. <laughs> we, we, we're going to get that, that horror groove going on. <laughs> but as as we go away and we search the, you know, the bowels of Netflix for the next spooky horror, once again, everybody, thank you all so, so much for joining us on this, yeah, this, this discussion on probably what you're going to be playing next this month and as always stay safe stay awesome stay hydrated and please don't eat too much trick-or-treating sweets because i'm probably gonna hear it a mile away do you know what you can do just mail it to us just write chat tsunami in an envelope and then post it trust me we all know We all know it's coming to us. Don't you worry. Don't eat too many trick-or-treaters either. That's bad for your digestion. I mean, that's true. Um, From personal experience, I would say that's true. (laughs) That's why I turn off the lights these days, you know. (laughs) Terrible business, yeah. Not as many kids on my lawn, but yeah. Anyway, on that depressing note, stay safe, stay awesome. (laughs) And most importantly, do not get spooked. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.